Then there was silence in heaven. Some people use that verse as an argument for the fact that there probably aren't any little kids in heaven. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say that. How many of you felt, I mean really felt, God reaching out to you and, and felt his love in this room just now? How many of you sensed God loving you and sensed and felt loved and safe and at home? Um, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. And Lord, give us, give us the grace and give us the opportunity to be able to somehow reflect, reflect that love to people that we're going to see probably before the end of the day. We're going to see people, Lord, who don't really feel loved especially they don't feel loved by you they don't feel loved by anybody and Lord use us as channels to just reflect some of what we absorbed today back into their lives don't want to argue with them don't want to lecture them just want to love them God thank you Lord thank you Lord for making us genuinely beacons, lights on a hill, and receptacles for your love to touch people who need you today, tomorrow, every day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. I'm going to... I don't know when I'm going to stop reminding you about this because this is so important. I want you to see this. Um, this these are the important points that the, old, the New Testament church convey, try to convey to people when they were preaching the gospel. You, you know, I, I, didn't, I haven't seen yet anywhere in the book of Acts where the apostles led with you are all evil, and if you don't repent right now, you are all going to hell. Now, there's a, they, they, in the long version of some of the New Testament sermons we read about in the book of Acts, it, it told the story of God's people from the Old Testament into the New Testament to the point where Jesus is crucified. But, but then the high point was always this. Let it be known to you that through him... Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And he died on the, when he died on that cross, your sins were forgiven. And he accomplished that for you. That's the, what, that was the main thing. Paul said, I, I only just wanted to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't want to preach hell. I didn't want to preach damnation. I didn't want to preach condemnation. I wanted to let you know what Jesus has done for you. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Your sins are now forgiven. Right now in this moment, even before they walked to the aisle and kneeled and cried and repented or any of that stuff, your sins are forgiven right now. Jesus died for you. But here's the good news. If, you're, if you believe in him, if you put your trust in him, if you put your faith in him, not only are, your sin, are you going, not only are you going to experience forgiveness of sins as a reality in your life, but you're going to be you're going to start to be freed from all sorts of stuff that you've been trying to be freed from all your life. But it just didn't work. You kept getting sucked back under, sucked back under, sucked back under. But once you step into whom the sun sets free is what? Free indeed. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So as you believe in him, you begin to be freed from all sorts of things from which you could not be freed from... I'm trying to keep the laws of, of the law of Moses. And all he asks of you in return 
is to continue in the grace of God. Just keep trusting Him. Just keep letting Him love you. Just keep letting Him bless you. Right? That's honest. Um, all I want you to do is continue to let God bless you and to keep let God love you and to let God continue to just work in your life. Um, I don't don't start trying to work miracles because Jesus is the one who works, works miracles. Honestly, some some of you need a bunch of miracles to be worked in your life, uh, but you can't make them happen. You just continue in the grace of God. God's going to do it. Just continue in His grace. Just trust Him and rest in Him. Okay. And all, when it comes to witnessing, which is something that we struggle with, all you need to do, tell your story. Tell what happened. I mean, the, the, here's an example. Some of you experienced the love of God in a special way today. It touched you and it meant something to you. You're going to run into somebody tomorrow and they're going to say, how was your weekend? And here's what you can do. I'm glad you asked. You know, something really special happened to me at church yesterday. We were just singing and worshiping God, and suddenly I just felt the arms of God just wrap up, wrap around me, and I knew like I'd never known before, in a totally new way, I felt more loved by Jesus than ever before. And I just need to tell you that He loves me like that, and He loves you too. Boom! That's it. That's what it means to tell your story. That's what, that's what it means to be my witness. To just, a witness is just somebody who tells what happened to them. A witness is not... To witness doesn't mean to argue with people and try to talk them into agreeing with you about anything. A witness is just somebody who tells their story. Let me tell you what happened to me at church yesterday. It was so awesome. The Spirit of God just came down and touched me. Tell your story. You're going to run into people who need to hear that story. They may... And don't... Don't hesitate to think, oh, no. I can't tell them my story because they'll think I'm crazy. I don't want to freak them out. Okay, so first of all, you are crazy. There's no use trying to keep it a secret. You are crazy. Um, Jesus is turning into you, turning into a particular kind of crazy. And it's not a bad crazy. It's a good crazy. So don't try to keep that a secret. Uh, so, for so long, too long, people have been soft-peddling the gospel uh, turning it into an intellectual exercise instead of the spiritual experience that it really is. Uh, second of all, you never, you can't ever offend somebody by telling them about an experience that happened to you. You're just telling your story. So don't let the devil try to convince you to sauce pedal something that's your testimony. All right. I'm going to just keep, I'm going to keep hammering that until uh, Jesus comes. Because this is, um, this is the key to getting the gospel out there. All right, so now. Ha! So somebody tell me who this is. If, if you can, first of all, I don't think you can tell me who this is. Um, but except for Peggy, maybe, maybe. Um, uh, as, as, but do you want to guess who this is? Is this, does this person look familiar to you at all? No, they would. Um, anybody? Anybody? You, I, I, that's not as far away as you would think. Bueller? Bueller? Anybody want to take a guess? I mean, Mike's guess is probably pretty good in the sense that this is a person who encourages people uh, and teaches them and trains them in the faith. But. Now, this guy's name is Dr. C. Peter Wagner. Uh, born 1930, passed away a couple of years ago in 2016. Professor of Evangelism and Church Growth at Fuller Seminary, the School of World Missions, uh, for 30 years. Uh, he, he had a huge impact, not only just in training people how to... to in, in missions and evangelism and church growth, but uh, in his latter years, especially after he retired from the seminary, uh, he was uh, a, an innovator on things like intercessory prayer and uh, spiritual warfare. And he was my favorite seminary professor because I actually went to seminary for two weeks. Uh, <laughs> Before I came to Marble Falls back in 1977, uh, 
the Lord arranged for me to spend two weeks out in Florida at an intensive... Uh, Fuller Seminary had crammed the first two tracks of their of doctor of ministry program in Evangelism and Church Growth, eight hours a day for 10 days, 80 hours worth of training uh, with, with Peter Wagner and the guys that some of you may have heard of, whose name was John Wimber. Uh, and uh, I just, I spent 80 hours just sitting under those guys, uh, listening to tell their stories and, and encouraging um, people. How can you, how, how can you follow the Spirit of God in a, in a way that releases His power and begins to spread out and touch communities? Okay. Peter Wagner, who's a great storyteller. I mean, he, I just, we were half, rolling on the floor half the time. Uh, and he was talking about one of the things that, that growing churches sometimes wrestle with is a thing called um, controversy, uh, where people don't get along, and maybe it's an argument over the color of the carpet. Maybe it's an argument about once saved, always saved. But occasionally, people just get to the point where they look at each other and, and they say, that's it. I've had it. I'm done. I'm not going to fellowship with you anymore because you are obviously a heretic. Uh, or at least we don't agree on this, and this is a deal breaker for me because there's nowhere in the Bible that it says carpet can be anything but blue. No red carpet in my church, or, or whatever it is. And so churches split. And he was talking about, he had a, one of his good friends was the head of the home mission board of the Southern Baptist Church back in those days. And that's, that's the church, that the home mission board, Southern Baptist Home Mission Board is, was responsible for nurturing and, and starting new Southern Baptist churches. They, the Southern Baptist, Southern, back in those days, the Southern Baptists had a formula that they used, and they could look at any church, any city, whatever size population, they had a formula that says, with this many people in this city, uh, we, have, we can accurately predict that based on our Southern Baptist definition of what it means to be saved, this many people aren't saved. Uh, they may or may not be going to churches, but we know that they're not saved. Uh, and they would, so that, would, that would, formula would give them an, uh, an idea of how many new churches we need to start in that city. Uh, and he told Peter Wagner one day, he said, you know what we've found to be one of our most effective church growth strategies? Church splits. Because uh, unfortunately, we, have, uh, we, we start churches and, and people find something they don't get along with and we try to help them stay together, but sometimes it just falls apart and they split apart and then now we, we started with one church and now there's two churches. But the, at the end of the day, what we have is more churches. So we wish it didn't happen that way, but since it does, we just try to make the best of it. Uh, that was just a funny, hysterical story. and This is the way Peter Wagner looks like, looked all the time. He was just like, he was this mischievous little, uh, gosh, I, could, I wish I could tell you some of those stories, but I can't. But, yeah, but, but the, the, the point here that he was saying is that sometimes, sometimes Christians just, for whatever reason, fall out of fellowship with each other. It doesn't mean that Jesus falls off the throne. Um, but meanwhile, back in the book of Acts, uh, remember where we left things last week? At the end of, uh, of Acts chapter 15, they had come to this conclusion uh, that instead of going back and trying to make Gentiles live by the law, we would come up with just this handful. James and Peter reinforced what Barnabas and Paul had already been preaching, which is faith in Jesus Christ alone is what 
is all that's needed for salvation. Uh, and so we're not going to make you live by the law anymore, but uh, we're just going to, we just want to remind you, here's some things that we think would be good. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than just these essentials. Abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. I should point out that this, these aren't conditions for salvation. They've already stipulated early in the conversation. Salvation is all about faith in Jesus. But here's, here are a few lifestyle choices that we think uh, that's really, really important for you to adhere to. Um, well, I covered some of the details of that last week, so I'm not going to read... I'm not going to beat that horse again. But they wrote this in a letter. They sent uh, um, Judas and Silas to go back to Antioch with Barnabas and Paul and to deliver this letter and to tell all the believers, the Gentile believers in Antioch, this good news. Um, so now we pick it up uh, at the end, at the very end of Acts chapter 15. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered this letter. And when they had read it, they, meaning all the Gentiles, all the new Gentile Christians, um, rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. I have to understand that in those days, there was nothing good on TV. Um... And the internet hadn't been invented. So there really wasn't anything to do except go to church and listen to prophets giving you lengthy messages and being encouraged. So maybe we ought to think about that again. But anyhow, it was a great day. It was, it was a huge victory. It was a big celebration. The, the, the whole city of Antioch, which was the third most influential, important city in the Roman Empire, uh, people were just freaking out. Hooray, hooray, hooray. And... After they spent there, uh, after they spent time there, they, they were sent away. That's, that means Judas uh, and some of the other brethren. They were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. That means going back to Jerusalem. Except for Silas, he's decided to stay there. And Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of God. This was like winning the Super Bowl. It couldn't have been any better, any more exciting this was a major milestone. This was actually the, the Council of Jerusalem and the, and the affirmation of this truth back in Antioch changed history. And it's what launched the gospel into the whole world. It's what gave legs and released the power to focus on simply preaching Jesus everywhere they went. Life-changing, history-changing moment. Um, could not be better news, could not have been more exciting. How many of you know that right at the moment when you are on top of the world is your, you are at your greatest risk of falling down? So, after some days, Paul said to Arbus, Let's return to all those cities that we visited on our, in our first journey and let's, let's just see how they're doing. And Barnabas thought it was a great idea, but he wanted to take John, who was also called Mark, with him also. But Paul said, no, absolutely not. I will not take John with us. I will not take John Mark with us. I will, he is not ever going any place with me again. Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along because John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia. This happened back in Acts chapter 13, by the way. Um, in the very beginning of the first missionary journey when they were, they were leaving Cyprus and were about to go someplace else, for some reason, John Mark bailed and went back home. And, and he abandoned them and did not go with them to the work. Most of the work was still ahead of them. And so there occurred, look at this, I put it in bold, there occurred such a sharp disagreement between them. This wasn't like, well, what do you think? I don't know, maybe we should, maybe we should pray about this and sleep on it. It was like, no, no way, no, 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 no. Yes, 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 no, no, yes, no, yes, no, no, yes. 
they had a fight. And the Greek here is pretty clear. They had a knockdown, drag out fight. So serious that they broke up. They separated one from another. Barnabas went ahead and took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, which incidentally is where Barnabas was from. Cyprus was his hometown, his home island. Uh, and Paul chose Silas, who had just happened to decide not to go back to Jerusalem anyhow, so he was handy. He chose Silas, and he left, being commissioned by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he started back up to those churches that they preached at before, traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And, and I'm sure people said, well, oh, hi, so we're, not, we're glad to meet Silas, but where's, where's Barnabas? How's Barnabas doing? Which Paul said, I have no idea what he said. Because this was awkward. This was an awkward situation. Uh, so who's John Mark? He was the son of somebody named Mary. If you look in the New Testament, there are a bunch of people named Mary. Uh, and we know there's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene. This is apparently another Mary. Uh, and she was apparently wealthy enough to... Uh, she had a big enough house that the disciples used to hang out at her house. She's wealthy enough to have a servant named Rhoda. Um, and so they... Uh, you know, when Peter got out of jail and he went... and. Uh, the, the angel led him out of jail and he went back and showed up and knocked on the door and Rhoda answered the door and said, oh, Peter's here. And they said, no, he's not because he's in prison. And she said, no, I think he is. No, they're not. Anyhow, that's that Mary. Uh, he was the son of Mary um, and he was possibly present at the arrest of Jesus. Remember, this, only, this story only occurs in one gospel, the gospel of Mark, about a young man who was, they, um, the Romans tried to detain him and he like slipped out of his robe and ran away. Nobody else talks about that. So some scholars think that that young man was, who was not named was probably Mark. So there you go. Uh, as it turns out, John Mark was either the cousin or the nephew of Barnabas. I'll, I'll point out that reference in a minute. Uh, the, the, the Greek term is a little obscure, but they're definitely related. Uh, and he did accompany Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, but he left them early in the trip and went back home, like we've already covered. Then this split happened, and he went with Barnabas back to Cyprus. Now, 1 Peter 5.13 implies that at some point after this, John Mark was with Peter in Rome and helped Peter out some in Rome. So they didn't just get dumped by the side of the road. And we know that John Mark authored the Gospel of Mark, which was the earliest of the four Gospels. I have to say this. um, There was at least one or two of the early church fathers who floated the theory, you know, by 200 or 300 AD, floated the theory that maybe there were three different Marks. But... The prevailing theory is that this one Mark was, was all of the Marks. He was the Mark who went on the missionary journey. He was the Mark who wrote the gospel. He's, he was the Mark with Peter. And he was the Mark that uh, got in such trouble with Paul. All right, so that's John Mark. Uh, the thing to see here, what that happened was it went from celebration to separation. You know... I can't tell you that it was God's will for them to have a big fight. It doesn't seem likely. But you, just, you just have to be aware that big fights are a part of having people together. Big fights are a part of trying to harmonize still living in the flesh in a broken world. Um, this was a big fight. Sharp disagreement means a fight so big that they essentially got a divorce. Um, On the heels of their greatest victory, Paul and Barnabas had a huge fight that led to a parting of the ways. Uh, And I think this is interesting that Luke, who was the author of the book of Acts, kept it real. 
he didn't sugarcoat this. Um, he, he doesn't take anybody's side. He doesn't try to make Paul look better than Barnabas. He doesn't try to give us an explanation. He just said the facts. They had a huge fight. They didn't want to speak to each other anymore. They didn't want to be in the same room with each other anymore. They didn't want to be on the same continent with each other anymore. Because he went off to Cyprus. I mean, Barnabas took Mark and went off to Cyprus. And, and Paul said, well, fine, well, fine, well, fine. Well, I'm going to go serve God. You do whatever you want to. Well, I'm going to serve God in Cyprus. Well, fine. You ever had conversations like that with people that were supposedly blood-bought, spirit-filled believers um, who you thought you could trust and then you discovered that it just got weird? This is keeping it real. Luke didn't try to hide this. He told the truth. Uh, People get to draw their conclusions. But the reality is, here's the re- so here's the reality. Keeping it real means here's the reality. Brothers, and these guys were super soldiers in the faith. They were the, they were the rock stars. This is like what happened when John and Paul broke up in the Beatles. They broke up the Beatles because they... I mean, I don't know if you grew up in that time and, it was, and, you, and you heard, when you first heard that the Beatles were kind of breaking up. Uh, and whose fault was it, incidentally? It was, it was Yoko's fault. Let's just be clear. Let's be clear. Uh, bad Yoko. Bad Yoko, that's exactly right. Uh, but people were, you know, it was just, uh, just imagine this. Brother, these guys were super, these were rock stars. They were super soldiers in the faith. They were the original pioneers of spreading the gospel of Jesus around the world. And they broke up. Think of the shock and the confusion that this must have caused to the new believers in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas broke up. This is the first split in church history. And it wasn't minor. And... It must have just blown people's minds. Because if Paul and Barnabas can break up, sad, potentially destructive. But I think Luke wants us to know that it happens, even to godly, anointed believers, because we are all human and stubborn and prideful. And weak, and we all fail. We all fail. Say this. Let's all say this together. We all fail. Turn around and look at somebody and say, One of these days I may fail you. All right? One of these days I may fail you. Please forgive me in advance. Okay? Because look at, I mean, look. If it could happen to Paul and Barnabas right in the middle of the greatest single event that had happened in the history of church to that point. It can happen to them. It can happen to anybody. If it can happen to Paul McCartney uh, and the Beatles. It can, I mean, keeping it real. It could happen. It could happen. The, the, the pressure, the temptation, because we're stubborn and prideful and human and weak and prone to failure, just get ready for it. Don't, don't be shocked when sometimes people let you down. Um, because that's one of the reasons why Jesus went to the cross. Okay, so let's look at this. In spite of that disaster, it was a huge disaster, by the way. In spite of that disaster, God is still a restorer. It looked like a disaster that could have... I'm sure the devil thought that by breaking up Paul and Barnabas, he had accomplished what? He had killed the church. By breaking up Paul and Barnabas, he must have thought, well, finally, Jesus didn't stay dead, but 
I'm not dealing with Paul. I'm not dealing with Jesus now. I'm dealing with Paul and Barnabas. And they're just human. And, and I'm going to break them up. And I can still kill the church right here. And, and here's the front end of the message. John Mark is a quitter. Can't trust John Mark. He's a quitter. He's not going to follow through. He can't depend on him. Paul's judgmental. Paul rejected people for just little mistakes. And um, you can't make Paul happy. He's, he's too hot-headed. He's too headstrong. Um, you can't work with Paul. Uh, Barnabas just got offended because Paul wouldn't let Barnabas have his own way. And so um, the, bringing out the worst of all of these guys. And the whole thing could have gone off the rails right there. Because sometimes Christians are stupid. But God is always faithful. Sometimes you're just a selfish, stubborn donkey's behind. But God is always faithful. Sometimes, instead of doing your best, you do your worst, and it hurts a lot of people, but God is always faithful, because God is a restorer. God doesn't give up. God didn't give up on Barnabas, even if Paul did. God didn't give up on Mark, even if Paul did. And that makes all the difference. Because here's what actually happened. The split, now I'm borrowing... Peter Wagner's story about the Southern Baptist uh, plan. But when they split, that actually led to two missionary journeys instead of one. Because Barnabas took Mark and went back to Cyprus, where they initially didn't have very much success. They, they preached, and, but nothing was happening. So they finally just gave up, and they went off up into Turkey. So... so um, Barnabas and Mark went back to Cyprus, and the historical evidence is that at some point after that, the gospel started to flourish in Cyprus, and there was a, 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 a solid, strong church that was established on Cyprus. Uh, so two missionaries journeys instead of one. Mark received some discipling, obviously, from Barnabas, which he probably needed. Because he obviously had some issues that he needed to work on. And who better to encourage and pray for and support a young man who needed strengthening in the Lord than Barnabas. So Mark got extra discipling. And Paul, who kind of was in time out, uh, had some time to repent of his attitude and which led ultimately to being reconciled with Mark. Because we know from other New Testament letters that Mark, sometime after this, became one of Paul's trusted, most trusted assistants. Um, Which eventually led to the writing of the first gospel. Could the first gospel have been written without them having a big fight and splitting up? I, I think so. But this break didn't actually stop the church from growing. It didn't stop Barnabas from... It didn't stop the gospel from going to Cyprus. It didn't stop Mark and, uh, from being discipled by Barnabas. And it didn't stop Paul from going forth and preaching the gospel on his second missionary journey. It actually led to the ch- church being boosted even though on the short end it was painful. Because even when we screw up, God is still faithful. The Romans 8.28 says what? We know God can work for good in every situation. As long as you love him, as long as you trust him, as long as you want his will to be done in your life. Which I think is true about all these guys. God can take something that looks like a disaster because he's faithful and he can restore it and he can release his glory in it. So when even when you're on the outs with somebody or you're seeing a church starting to fray at the edges, just don't forget 
God is a restorer. He will always be a restorer. And because, just because something looks like it's a disaster doesn't mean it's going to turn out to be a disaster. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to read this. Here's some, Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 4. And he's writing to the church at Ephesus, which is in the middle of Turkey, which is where he spent a lot of time. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. I'm not telling you that you won't get angry sometimes, but I'm just saying don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Deal with your anger responsibly. To let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and, uh, and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as Christ, God in Christ has also forgiven you. Now, this is a powerful appeal and it's, it stands on its own. It was one of the most insightful things that Paul ever said. But does it occur to you that Paul might be speaking from personal experience. There's no, there's no evidence of this, really. There's no direct connecting the dots. But did it ever occur to you that once they had the big fight and fall, Paul threw the big fit and had to spend the next however long, how many months, trudging around uh, Central Asia, Turkey, without his good friend Barnabas, that it, the Holy Spirit worked on him and, and it finally occurred to him that he might have been wrong. And that he had made a terrible mistake, which allows him, based on personal experience, to say, look, quit lying. Um, quit believing lies. Try to deal truthfully and honestly with each other. And, and yes, sometimes we're going to get angry. Sometimes people disappoint us. Sometimes people hurt us. Sometimes people abandon us. And so we're going to be put in awkward situations and we're going to be upset. But don't, don't make sinful choices. Don't let your reaction drive you in a sinful direction. Don't let the sun go down in your anger, which means what? Yeah. Before the day is over, deal with it in a way that's constructive. Don't launch into a crazy diatribe and don't start accusing people and, start, and don't start spreading lies about each other and start trying to make yourself look better and start trying to deal with your anger. That might necessarily need, you need to start by repenting of your anger. And asking God to show you what to do to prevent things from getting worse. Because when you don't deal with anger appropriately, what does that do? That gives the devil an opportunity to make things worse. Because when we are really, really mad is when we are really, really, really at our stupidest and our most selfish. Paul says, you just, I mean... You've got to recognize how destructive this is. Don't give the devil an opportunity to break up friendships, to break up marriages. Don't give the devil an opportunity to do even more damage than he wants to do. Deal with your anger. Let the Holy Spirit will help you with that. I mean, but then here, so stop being bitter. Stop being controlled by wrath and anger and clamor and slander uh, along with any evil intentions. And even though it's going to be hard, be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Do you know what? When anger is undealt with, you know what it does to your heart, right? It creates a hard heart. Because I'm, you're going to protect yourself. I'm not going to let that person get away with that ever again. Nobody's going to ever treat me that way ever again. I'm, I'm going to make sure that this never happens to me ever again. You harden your heart. You lock up. You lock your emotions away. You lock yourself permanently into anger and bitterness and ruin whatever chance there is for a relationship to be healed.
So be kind to one another, even though you'd like to really just punch them in the face. Uh, be tenderhearted. Keep loving them, in, though it's hard. Forgive each other, because, dude, God in Christ has also forgiven you. God in Christ has also forgiven you right now for the angry attitude that you have. You're already forgiven. So, and God's already forgiven them for whatever they did that disappointed you. They're already forgiven. If God's forgiven them, if God still loves them, who are you to keep treating them like dirt? Just remember, God in Christ has already forgiven you, which means he's already forgiven them, which means there is a way to fix this. Paul learned that the hard way. And now he's passing this on to the Ephesians. All right, so, uh, so keeping it real means this. Keeping it real means grow up, get over it. Grow up, get over it. Turn around, look at somebody and say, dude, grow up, get over it. Or do that. I mean, if you have to. Or do da. Uh, <laughs> grow up and get over it. That's, that's honestly, I mean, this comes in, and in Ephesians chapter 4, that passage I just read, Paul actually ends up saying that. He ends up saying, we've got to move past all this fleshly stuff and grow up into all things what it means to be a part of Christ Jesus. Grow up, get over it. Life is too short. The kingdom is too precious. And look, so look what happened. I'm just seeing some random places that I, scriptures I pulled out. In Galatians 4.10, Paul is writing to the church at, at Galatia. Uh, and this is what he says. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom I have already given you some instructions. And if he comes to you, Welcome him. If Mark, Mark comes to you, welcome him. He's Barnabas' cousin. So apparently Barnabas and Paul and Mark, by the time the book of Galatians is written, which is probably two or three years after all this other stuff happened, Mark is, is with Paul. This, this, this is written from Rome while Paul's in prison. So Mark is with um, Paul in Rome and Paul says you know I, I might be sending Mark to you I've already told you to expect him if he shows up welcome him I'm sending Mark to you as my representative think about that just a couple of years later I'm sending Mark to you as my representative and Second Timothy 4.11 Paul is still in jail in Rome and he's writing to, to one of his other protégés, Timothy who is now the pastor of the church at Ephesus and he says to Timothy only Luke is with me get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry this is a little bit after Galatians but it's pretty clear that the band is back together. Right? Amen? Even though they had a horrible, destructive argument, I think eventually Paul repented and forgave and the band is back together. Two references in two different letters to how important, suddenly Mark, how important Mark is to him. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that... Wouldn't you like... Wouldn't you like to be able to write letters like that at some point? In a situation where something had been broken, but the grace of God worked in your life, and you were able to put it down and get past it and, and experience a restoration from the Lord that healed that relationship so that instead of talking about what happened in the past, you can't trust that person, they're just going to... They're just going to stab you in the back and all that. To be able to say, you know what? Yeah, we, had a, we went through a rough patch. God dealt with me. I think God probably dealt with them. 
You say, if you see my friend Mark, please welcome him because he is so important to me. I couldn't do my ministry without him. You see the implication? Mark is so important to me. Please welcome him with open arms. He is so important to me. I couldn't do my ministry without him. Um, now, this is Peter talking. He's writing from Rome. She who was in Babylon, which is the church. He's talking about the church who was in Rome. Rome Babylon was a secret code name for Rome in those days. She who was in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son, Mark. So Mark has obviously grown up too by this time. He's not only, he, he turned into a super uh, soldier himself, supporting Paul and Paul's ministry and supporting Peter and Peter's ministry. And Peter and Paul both said, I can't run my ministry without him. And Peter says, I love this boy like a son. I, I just, I couldn't get along without him. Is that just super awesome? Is that just incredible? So, so here's, this, here's my last question for you. Right now, where do you need to grow up and get over it? Um, let me see the hands of everybody here who's human. Okay, human. Yeah. So, now, that means that if you're human, you have either been wounded by somebody and you're still having a hard time getting over it, or you have wounded somebody and they're having a hard time getting over it. And either way, we have this tendency to justify our choices, and we tend to say, well, you just don't understand. You weren't there. You don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. I mean, I depended on that person, and I needed that person to go with me on this next missionary journey, and the whole future, the kingdom of God depended on it, and they just walked out. They abandoned me. Do you understand? They turned their back and they abandoned me. So, and, aren't you the one who's been preaching the gospel that says Jesus died on the cross to pay for everybody's sins? Aren't you the one whose sins have been forgiven? Isn't that person also somebody whose sins have been forgiven? Are you going to just keep on holding on? Or are you going to be tender-hearted and kind and forgive them because God has forgiven you? Things don't have to stay broken. I mean, you can't make somebody forgive you, and you can't make somebody fellowship with you if they don't want to. And sometimes, to be honest, in a very rare amount of cases, some people are in such a bad spot right now that it's kind of toxic for you to get around them. I'm not saying that that's going to be hard, but you have to be open. You have to be willing to let go of your end of the rope. You've got to be willing to stop fighting the battle. You've got to be willing to be open to letting God work in them and mostly, mostly, you've got to be willing for God to work in you. God worked in Paul and what he got out of it was a restored relationship with Mark that blessed him a thousand times over in his ministry. He had, he had to grow up and get over it. So, I'm just throwing out there that maybe... If, if you've got some splits or some, some awkward relationships, it's not too late. It's not lost. Because even when we are stupid, God is always faithful. Amen? Let's pray. Wow, Jesus. This is a hard lesson for us to listen to. Some of us, Lord, maybe all of us in some way, have gotten really comfortable with the notion that 
it's okay to give up on people. It's okay to lock them out. It's okay to judge them. It's okay to reject them because it just makes us feel safer. So Lord, along with Paul, we repent of that right now. We're not happy about it because it feels a little risky. But Lord, right now, along with Paul, we're willing to let go of our anger. We're willing to step out of that flow of gossip and backbiting and grudge holding. We're willing to lay down our judgments. And Lord, thank you for forgiving me for my unforgiving heart. Give me grace, Lord, to walk in forgiveness with this other person that are in this situation. Let me just stop and say this. For some of you, the people that have hurt you aren't even alive anymore. And you're holding on something that's just dragging you down. It's okay. It's important to say, God, I'm willing to lay that down and I I forgive that person even though they're not around to receive the they receive the benefit of my forgiveness. Lord, I'm ready to walk in forgiveness and stop making excuses based on stuff that happened 20 years ago or however long. I'm willing to say, Lord, I let it go. I'm ready to grow up and get over it and face the future without making excuses based on the past. I ask it in Jesus' name.